Open up your Bibles to John 3, and um, we're going to talk about something today that's really foundational, but just really needs to be in our lives as believers. We, I don't believe we can ever get past this, and it's something that seems to be pretty strong inside me right now, and I'm going to talk about the subject, born again. John 3. Jesus hadn't been teaching long at this time, and religious people were coming to him, and uh, this, and they would ask questions. They were super curious about things, and, and uh, they recognized he had authority. They recognized he had power. They recognized he had things that others didn't. Could you imagine if you're a religious leader, and all the people are looking to you, and then this new guy comes, and he starts speaking the way he did. And what's so wild is they even said this concerning him. They said, he speaks as one having authority. Not like the, I mean, they're thinking, man, this guy's got something. They'd go into his meetings. You know, I mean, somebody, you know, we raise our hands and stuff like that. They went to his meeting. And if somebody was demon possessed at different times, a person would start screaming in the middle of the service. Or throwing them, you know, literally on the ground, writhing around. So we shouldn't be bothered by things happening in church, right? I mean, if Jesus was here, I mean, that, I mean, you read the, do you ever read the Bible? Like, just really read it and go, well, that happened, you know? Like, he ignored people. Jesus ignored people at times. Somebody said, I feel so much better already this morning. No, I'm not trying to teach you to ignore people, but he did at times. And um, he made people jump through hoops sometimes. Remember one time we had somebody call the church and wanted somebody's number, and I answered the phone. And they said, uh, uh, can I get so-and-so's number? This person wasn't even from around here. They had found one of our members online through a business thing, and they wanted their personal number. I said, well, I can't do that. The person got mad. I mean, they got fired up. Just so you know, I'm not giving any of your numbers away. I'll only sell them. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I wouldn't even do that. But anyway, I'll split it with you. No, I'm kidding. I wouldn't do that. And, and, uh, but literally, he got just, he got irate with me. And, and I said, well, I just can't do it. I mean, I can get your number. I can give your number to them, but I don't give people's number out. And he just pulled it out right there. He just, just, he said, well, what would Jesus do? <laughs> well, I said, one time, a lady who wanted healing for their daughter, he said, called her a dog. And I can't give you the bread that belongs to the children. And he hung up on me. <laughs> totally hung up. I thought, well, okay, then I, if you don't want me to talk, tell you what Jesus would do, then don't ask me what he would do. Right? Because he didn't want to. He was just trying to leverage me. Well, then you need leverage. But these people were religious people, and they noticed Jesus had something. He was, he was different than others. He still is different than others. 
You with me? And so here in, in John 3, verse 1, we're going to read seven verses here. Uh, this religious person came to Jesus and didn't come in the middle of the afternoon. Because if you read the Bible, a lot of the religious people back then had a position and it gave them clout and it gave them kind of a prestige and in front of the people. But they wouldn't publicly just proclaim their faith in Jesus. So they would... Because it said they didn't want to be thrown out of the temple, you know, get thrown out of their club. What would people think about them if they really made a stand? See, the same things happen today that happened back then. And so this guy was a ruler of the people, people a teacher. And so he came to Jesus at night. And this happened to him. I mean, you think about it. If people were just straightforward, they could have all come to him during the day. But he had to expand his ministry, so to speak, because some people weren't straightforward. Okay, amen. Verse 1, there was a man of the Pharisees, which is a religious sect. It was a, a group of religious people uh, that were teachers in Israel. And his name was Nicodemus. And he was a ruler of the Jews. Verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, which rabbi is just a, a, a teacher. He was at least showing respect to Jesus when he came by calling him rabbi. You know, you, you crazy man. He didn't say that. He said rabbi. He said teacher. He, notice he said, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know. This is all those other religious people know, knew too. They just didn't give in. Sometimes people know stuff, but they don't give in to what they know. You, you with me? They know it, but they don't always give in to what they know. And that's not a good place to be when you don't give in to what you know. This guy is searching it out himself, but he said, we know. We, the people, we the religious leaders, we know. And he's taken a step to find something out and really to give in. He said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. We know it. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not going to teach on this, but sometimes people think Jesus was being elusive here and just all of a sudden just started talking about born again, and here this guy's talking about you're a teacher. But if you notice, he didn't say go to heaven, he said see the kingdom. The Greek right there literally means perceive and grasp and get a hold of it. I know this from people after they get born again. The Bible turns into a different book. I've heard people share this all the time. You know, I used to try to read the Bible. I tried to read it. It did nothing. The minute I got born again, it was like a totally different book. It came alive. 
Why? This verse right here, Jesus was approached and he said, we know you're a teacher. Called him rabbi, teacher. He said, we know you're a teacher. Jesus said, if you're not born again, you won't perceive and grasp the things of the kingdom or what I am conveying. Jesus wants people. Being born again is way more than a religious experience or joining a church. It's a newfound life that one of the first things that happens to someone is they begin to see. Not physically. When I rededicated my life to the Lord in 1985, I had tried to read the Bible a little before, but the minute that happened, the book changed. But the book didn't change. The book was the same all the time. I changed. There was a change in me. I was born again, and now I was able to see the kingdom of God. So then the scriptures came alive to me. I was like, whoa, look at that. Whoa, look at that. Then you try to share with somebody who's lost, and they're like, yeah, whatever. And I'm like, no, look at this. Because being born again is huge. So this religious man, Jesus said, if you really want to connect and know what I'm teaching, what's going on, if you want to perceive and grasp, you have to be born again. And that's why I tell people, don't go try to teach people how to pray that are lost. Don't go try to give them six solutions for this in a higher way. No, what they need is to be born again. And Jesus knew that. And verse 4, so Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now he says it different. He said, if you're not born again, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That is different from verse 3. You can't get in unless you're born again. And what's interesting is what he says after that, verse 6. And he starts explaining what this born of the water is. You know, people have made born of the water, baptism in water, all these different things. No, Jesus... Let Jesus give his own commentary. Let the Bible give its own commentary. You know, in Matthew 18, or 8, uh, 16 and 17, you know, it, it gives commentary from some Old Testament scriptures from Isaiah 53 and 4. And it's the same quote from 1 Peter 2.24, where he bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we now, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. People say, well, that's not physical healing. But do you know Jesus gave commentary on those verses himself in Matthew 8.16 and 17? After he healed the sick, he said that it says there that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet. He himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. He was the one who gave the commentary on it by his actions and what was said. And so let him give the commentary on this. You out there? <laughs> if the Bible's clear on a subject, let's not muddy the water 
You know, have you ever been out somewhere, you know, in the water and it's nice and clear and you can see it and then other people jump in, start playing. You're like, hey, 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 hey. And it just gets all muddy. Now you can't even see the bottom. Nobody's ever been there. And you're like, you're muddy in the water. Some people jump in and play where they shouldn't be playing and it gets all muddy. And then that's what everybody sees. The Bible's pretty plain and pretty simple. You almost have to have a degree to muddy it up. Or just be dishonest sometimes, too. I mean, none of you, but I mean those other people, you know, out there. Notice this. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, verse 5, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. He explains the water and the spirit. He said, that which is born of the flesh is a flesh birth. That which is born of the spirit is a spiritual birth. Notice verse 7. Do not marvel. Because think about it. This guy was probably starting to marvel. Because his head was, do you just you enter back into your mother's womb? I mean, he respected him enough to say, are you saying this, and then you get born again when you're old? His head was mess, messing, probably. He's thinking, is, is, is this what, because that's what he said, is this what you're saying? And then Jesus said, what's born of the flesh, in verse 6, is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. And then he said, do not marvel that I said you must be born again. Do not marvel at this. I'm going to read it, these verses from the New Living Translation, verse 6 and 7. It says, humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So do not be surprised when I say, you must be born again. Here's the God's Word translation. Flesh and blood give birth to flesh and blood. But the Spirit gives birth to things that are spiritual. Here's another translation. It says, what is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Notice this next part. Do not be surprised. Don't be surprised that I said to you, you all must be born from above. Being born of the Spirit is being born from above. It's being born from God. It's not a physical birth, and that's what he was trying to separate, is there is a physical birth that we all experience. And he said there is a spiritual birth that you need to experience. And that is being born again. It's being born new. Turn to Matthew 7. Matthew, the 7th chapter, a real common verse to people. But when Jesus said, you must be born again, we know that he is saying something that was so different. 
When people say, well, you know, there's so many religious ways in the world and so many religions in the world, and they all teach the same things, and they all talk about love, and they all talk about forgiving one another, that's not true in itself. But, and they talk about, you know, getting peace, they don't all say the same things because they don't say this. This is exclusive to Jesus. You must be born again. And not born again by being water baptized, but by a regeneration, by being born from above. It's a literal spiritual birth that anybody who wants to know the Lord and walk with God must be born again. Jesus said all must be. All must be born again. Well, if, if he said all must be born again, there's not a lot of things that he said all must do. You with me? But he said all must be born again. Notice this in Matthew 7. Um, verse 13. Jesus was preaching here and he said, Enter by the narrow gate. Enter by the narrow gate. What's a narrow gate? You know, I know people here, in California, it wasn't like this, but here this is a real regular thing. When people buy a house or have a house, there's lots of people have pools or they get one. So one of the things they ask is, is there enough room to get a little tractor or a bobcat through the gate? And sometimes they'll say, well, you need to open this up because it's too narrow. Or we can't get it back there because it's just, it's not broad enough or wide enough to get it through. And he said this, he said, enter by the way or enter by the narrow gate. He said, it's got, you got to get through this narrow gate. It's a narrow gate. It's not a wide gate. It's not even double doors. It's a narrow gate. He didn't say there are gates there. He just said it's one gate. And he said, for wide is the gate. So, what does that mean? Wide and broad is the way that leads to destruction or brings people to hell. He said, and there are many who go in by it. Why would many go through the broad gate and few go through the narrow gate? Some translations say narrow and constricting. Because, you know, if you've got a broad way and it just seems, you know, it's real wide, I, I, you, know, you can just make it through. I don't have to even lose any weight to get through that gate. I, I, just, I don't even have to turn sideways. I can just make it right through that gate. It's easy. It's broad. All my friends can travel through that gate, and we can go through the gate together. It's easy. This is a constricting gate. It may make you have to get rid of something. 
You ever had stuff on and you, like, you know, went to go through a certain place? Maybe you had a backpack on or a jacket and you had to take it off to get through? To get through this gate, you have to maybe get rid of some stuff too. What kind of stuff might you have to get rid of? The idea that I can get to where I want to go by doing it my own way. I can get to God any way I want to. To go through the narrow gate, you've got to get rid of that kind of thinking. Because you'll, you, won't, you won't pass this way. Because you'll think, well, any way leads to God. No. He said, narrow is the path. And broad is the path that leads to destruction. He said, and many go in that way. Many do. You know, I, I read an autobiography of a man who really uh, impacted the nation's Went to be with the Lord years ago, and I read his autobiography, and he uh, was dying of tuberculosis, and the Lord had called him, and he just wouldn't obey what the Lord had told him to do, and he was just living in the world and living wrong, and it was at the turn of the last century, and uh, he was dying, and this night, all of a sudden, late at night, the doctors had said, he will not live through the night. He was coughing at blood, and they said, he will die, and so... That night, all of a sudden, a giant casket appeared on one side of him, and a giant Bible appeared on the other side, and the Lord spoke to him and said, tonight you must choose what you will do. You will go and preach my word, or you will die. He said, okay, Lord, I'll let you know later on. He said, tonight you have to choose. He said later on, he said, I felt like I got manipulated into it, so to speak. You know, it's either you die or you do this. So he literally said, I will follow you and I will preach the Bible wherever you tell me to preach. So he literally chose that night and fell asleep. The next morning he woke up and was miraculously well. His family, everybody was blown away. The doctors were blown away. So he went off doing his own thing. Started living his own life, his own way again. Not, you know, just outright wrong, but he was like, you know, I'm going to get around to that. I'm, I'll do that. And then about three weeks later, the Lord said, when are you going to obey me? He said, well, my dad didn't want me to. His dad didn't want him to be, his mom wanted him to be a preacher. His dad said, you, you don't do that. You, you can't do that. And he said, well, you had to make a choice, and you need to choose. And he went, ugh. So his friend came over with an old beat-up car, and he told me, he said, i got to leave. He said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to go preach. He said, what do you mean? He said, the Lord told me i got to go preach. So he told his mom, and he took off in this old car, you know, like a Model A or Model T way back then in the 20s, whenever, and they took off out of Florida and went up, and he went up to a schoolhouse and asked a farmer can, you know, that was around there, whose is this? And he asked for the keys, and he started preaching. And he, he, he hated people. <laughs> he did. He, he admitted it. He said he hated people until he had this certain experience. And he said, as a matter of fact, one time somebody came up there, and he said he'd just yell at the people. He'd get mad because they'd laugh at his stories and stuff like that and everything he's trying to preach. His friend actually drove him. He knew, knew how to 
play like a guitar, so he came and did the music, you know? I mean, neither one of them knew hardly anything. And so he's preaching away, and, you know, night after night, and then went to another abandoned, like, church or school or something like that in a field, and he started doing it again, and one night in the middle of the night, he had, had got a crowd. Actually, these farmers came. He said he would be preaching. They would be chewing tobacco and spitting, just laughing at his stories, you know. He'd tell the story how he had to solve this coffin, and they'd laugh at him. And, and uh, he'd just get mad. He said one time a lady came up front, and he said, well, you want to receive the Lord? And she said, I don't know. And he said, he, he spit on her. He said, then go to hell. This is it's a true autobiography. He said one night when he was preaching, he said all of a sudden something happened, and he said he always liked to dress nice. And he, this is back then. He said I had a white jacket, a white shirt, white pants and shoes, you know, like a suit. And the power of God came on him, and he fell out on the floor. And he said, he said, I came to, I don't know what time in the middle of the night, I'd been crying and crying and crying. And he said just the clay that was in on the dirt floor was stuck to his face. He said, I was so embarrassed. He said, I tried to find the lantern. Everybody was gone. But he said, what happened was during that time, he said, I was caught up and I had a vision. And he said, and I was sitting and I saw a river just going and then it would just go off this edge. And he said, I just kept watching and watching. He said, just a huge river. And he said, Lord, what is that? He said, I almost wish I would have never asked that. And all of a sudden, he came up to it. And when he came to it, he noticed that it's, he said, it's not water, Lord. It's, it's not water. He, he said, no. He said, that is the path of life. And he said, and it's a broad path. And he said, I looked, and he said, there were, there were Manchurians and all these different people and all their native garb, you know, and dressed from all around the world. And, and he said, he said I, I don't understand this. And he moved past, and he said, then he noticed that these people, he said, this is the press of life. And at the end, he said, this river turned into people, and they were flowing over. And he said, there was a huge lake of fire underneath. And he said, there would be screams, and people would be crying out for mercy. And they would try to stop when they got to the end of their life. And he said, but life pressed on, and they would just go over the edge and be gone. They couldn't stop themselves, and they would go into eternity. He said, before the next person splashed, the splash of the other person would be gone, and they would be gone in eternity. And he started getting real bothered by this. And then he said there was a little river that turned and went like this and went up away from it. And he said, but it turned into people. And he said, what is that? He said, that's the narrow path that leads to life. And this is the broad path that leads to destruction. He said, oh, Lord, I don't understand this. And he said, then the Lord spoke to him and he said, their blood is on your hands. He said, what do you mean? And he said, he looked down and blood was just going through his hands. And the Lord quoted some scriptures to him from the book of Ezekiel that said, if you do not tell a sinner of his sinful ways, he said, then his blood will be upon your hands. But if you tell him and he does not repent, then his blood will be upon his own hands. 
It's interesting, Paul said in, in the book of Acts, he said, I did not forsake to tell the full counsel of God. Therefore, I am innocent of the blood of all men. We have to be careful what we hold back because of the opinions of others, what they may not like, and it may not be suitable for them, but if we don't tell what needs to be told, we could be guilty. And he said, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. But this time when he had this vision, Paul said that, but this man said, he said, well, but I've never been there. And he tried to shake the blood off. He said, but I've never been there. He said, then you must go. And then he came out of that vision and he was on that floor, and the mud was on his face from the tears from seeing all those people going to hell. And a year later, he was on a whirlwind tour, and then for the rest of his life, preached all around the world. But it's interesting, he said, that there's a broad path and there's a narrow path. Verse 14, he said, because narrow is the gate, and difficult I have a little note by the word difficult in my Bible. It has a number two. And in the margin, it has a word like a Greek word or the literal meaning. It says confined. Difficult or confined is the way that leads to life. And there are a few who find it. There are a few who find it. What does he mean it's a narrow path? What, what door is he talking about that's so narrow? You know, if we don't know better, we think it's how hard do I work or what kind of good works do I do or, or have I been nice enough or have I given enough to the church? That, that's not what we're talking about. Notice this in, in John 10. What is this narrow, narrow gate? John 10 tells us what that narrow gate is. And once we read, we'll know why it is so narrow and why it is difficult and so constricting for people to enter through that gate. John 10, verse 9 says, I am the door. Jesus is talking about his, himself. I am the door. We could say a gate. I am the door, I am the gate. If anyone enters in by me, he will be saved. And he will go in and out and find pastures. He said, I'm the gate or I'm the door. That changes everything because many people think there are many doors and many gates or many ways to get to heaven. And Jesus said, there's only one gate. And it's constricting it's narrow. What does it mean? The one gate is the singular person, Jesus Christ. That's why it's so narrow. Because wouldn't it be nice for it to be Buddha too? Wouldn't it be nice if it was Muhammad too? Wouldn't it be nice if it was just being good to as many people as I possibly could be good to? But see, that just all widens the gate. And you're not allowed to do things against code. You know, some things, you know, there are rules by which you can build and not build. 
And it's not right to tell people things that are not so. Because you might think, well, I'm being well-meaning, but it's a narrow gate. It's so narrow that it's Jesus himself. That's why it's a narrow path. That's why it's a broad path that leads to destruction. But what about all my friends? Well, then you have to direct them to the gate. Yeah, but they all believe so many different things. Yeah, because it's constricting. They'll have to get rid of that. They'll have to accept Jesus. I wasn't the one who said this, but Jesus himself said, it's a narrow gate, it's a narrow path, and I am the gate. That's how narrow it is. It's Jesus narrow. Jesus only. You know, John 14, 6 said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father, but by me. He didn't say he is a way. He didn't say he is a truth. He didn't say any of those things to bring plurality, or, you know, just bring multiple avenues in. He said, no, this is it. And he said, nobody. That's narrow. That's constricting. But regardless of how constricting it is, we who have passed through the gate, know what's on the other side. We should be the ones calling to the people on the other side of the fence, come this way, through this door. It's worth it. And notice, think about it. He said, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. He will be saved. Jesus said, nobody will come unto me and, and I will cast him away. Everybody can travel through the door. Everybody can enter in through that door. But the issue is sometimes you have to lay down your own way to go through the door. Do you know what I mean by that? Your own personal opinions to travel through that door. Your own pride to travel through that door. Turn to John 1. John 1, verse 12. Notice this. In verse, verse 12, he said, But as many as received him, meaning Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Notice two things there. Receive him and believe in his name. Then you become a child of God. Jesus said you must be born again. All this whole message is super narrow. Super constricting. Not real broad. Well, you're just narrow-minded. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm trying to be as narrow-minded as Jesus is narrow-minded. Why do I have to be broad-minded if being broad-minded leads to destruction? Why would I do that? That would mean that I don't really probably care like I should. That would not be good. 
that would show a lack of concern and care from my standpoint when, when we know and we know it's this way. But what will they think? It doesn't matter. We need to let them think what they'll think so God can deal with them so they'll lay aside whatever it takes to enter in through that gate. But if we don't tell them, then what does God work with? Because he works with us telling people. He said that in the Bible. And so here he said, if you believe, but not just believe, you have to receive. To get through the gate, you have to receive him. Not just believe in him, receive him. These are the ones, notice verse 12, but as many as received him, to them, because that's how you get born from above, you receive Jesus. You do what Peter said, and you call upon the name of the Lord, and then you'll be saved. Or you do what Paul said in the Bible, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, and then you call on him, and then you'll be saved. But it's the only way. The only way. And he said you would become children of God. Turn to Acts 4, and I believe we'll close here. Acts, the fourth chapter. Actually, we may read one more verse after this. Verse 12, it says, and th this is a narrow verse again. I'm so glad they were bold enough to tell the truth. They were trying to get it through the one door. You know, sometimes, you know, you have to get some things through one entrance. You know, you ever try to get something and you need to push it through something to get it through and otherwise it overflows and gets messy and everything gets messy. If they don't go through this, meaning people, it gets messy for eternity. And this doesn't mean we're mean to people if they don't. We love people, but we tell them. We want God to deal with people. Notice verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other. That's very narrow. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men, by which we must be saved. There's no other way. Man, it's narrow, it's constricting, but that's not bad. When we know, because we can direct people. When he had that vision and saw people going off to the side, he said, those are the people that have received me. And oh, how good it is to tell people so they can choose to come off that. There's people that don't like the broad path. They just know no other path. The, here's the big, big thing about the broad path. It's unfulfilling. It, 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 there's a lack of peace, there's a lack of fulfillment, there's a lack of knowing God, there's all kinds of things. Here's the thing, if anybody does want to know God, God will send people to those people. 
Anybody who wants to know God, anybody who's a believer who wants to walk deeper with God, he'll help them. But people who are lost and want to walk with him, he'll lead people to them so they can know. If you read the book of Acts, the real experiences that people had, you know, whether it was an angel appearing to a guy, he was already hungry for God. He just didn't know how to get there. But he prayed. He gave regular the man Cornelius in Acts 8. He did all these things. You know, 9 through 10 actually is where the stories of Cornelius are in those chapters. But the thing is, he was seeking after God, but he had not entered in. So he sent a man to tell him. Why? Because God sees people's hearts. There are people who are Muslims today that are hungry for God. And you would meet them and they're hungry for God. You would meet a Buddhist and there, there could be people in all different world religions that are just hungry for God. Doesn't mean all of them are hungry for God. And they want him just like Cornelius did. Paul was hungry for God. Paul even thought he was doing favors for God as a religious Jewish leader, a Pharisee. And he was throwing Christians into jail. And he was there consenting unto the death of Stephen, one of the first martyrs mentioned in the Bible. He wanted to know God. He thought he was doing God a favor. But he hadn't entered in through the narrow gate. But it's interesting how anybody who's hungry, Jesus will help him. But he'll use people. To help people. You with me? He's given the commission to us to direct people through the narrow gate. And what's so cool is being on the other side, Jesus told people, come, taste and see. One thing I think is every believer should be tasting of the goodness of God and what God is about. Because isn't it a lot better when you've eaten of something and you say, oh, this is good. You ever ate something and went, ah, this ain't good. (laughs) Jesus wouldn't say taste and see and then go tell people if he knew it was going to be a bad taste. He'd just say, go tell them. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I tasted it. It was real bitter. No, when your sins are washed away and you come into fellowship with God and you recognize what it is to have new life, you've tasted. You've seen. Never lose that intimate part of life with God because then it all gets blurry. I said it all gets blurry. God wants you to constantly eat. Remember I said I might read one more scripture. I haven't even turned to one, but I can gracefully go this way. We'll, I believe, close with this. The story of the prodigal in the Bible. There, the the. the Jesus told the story of the prodigal child. You know, there were two sons, and one took his inheritance and went and lived in riotous living, just lived a horrible life, spent everything he had, was totally a wreck. He got to the point he was so broke, he was eating slop from pigs. You know, what was given to pigs, he was eating it. Wow. He he went from a father that had good stuff 
to where he went his own way and ended up eating stuff that belonged to pigs. And he finally, the Bible said he came to himself and I'm gonna, he said, I'm going to return and I'm going to go to my father and I don't care if I get the ring back and all the inheritance back. I just, if I can be like a hired servant, that's all I care about. I just want to be back in my father's house. And so you know what he did? He said he got up and he started traveling. And the Bible said the father saw him afar off and ran and met him. The father had been waiting. And he went and met him. And the Bible said he put a robe on him, and he started to tell him, hey, you know, I don't want all that. I just want to be back in the house. But the father restored him to incredible standing immediately. Gave him a ring. That doesn't mean like he went, you want earrings, you want a gold necklace, what do you want? No, the ring he is talking about was significant, like an insignet ring, you know, like when people would push on like wax, you know, and leave their mark, you know, that showed. Well, that was kind of like their ring. He could, he could endorse things with it. He could go into town and maybe put some wax on, say, I want this, this, and this, and stamp it, and he's got the household ring. He restored him back to his good place, and then he commanded the servants, his servants to go get a fatted calf, Invited his old friends, and they had a party and celebrated that he had come back. But while the party was going on, there was another son that came and was real mad. Didn't get involved in the party. Went to his father and said, what is this that you're doing? I've been with you the whole time. I've been here working in the field. And you have never killed me a fatted calf. You've never had a party for me. You've never done any of this for me. But you've done it for him. And he was upset. And being a good father, and this is a picture of God, he just said, okay, I'll do it for you too. You know, he didn't do that. He didn't do that. You know, sometimes Christians that have been serving God for a long time, all of a sudden see the joy that a new believer has, and they're super excited, and oh my, oh, it'll wear off soon enough. <laughs> They'll be like me in a short time. No, no, that's what he was trying to tell people. That's what he was getting across in this story. He said to him, he said, listen. You know, some would think he'd you want to grab him by the collar and say, now listen up. He didn't say grab him by the ear and said, he just said, listen. He said... Everything that I have is yours. You could have taken and killed the fatted calf at any time. You could constantly be having a party. It's all yours. The other son did it and did it wrong. But he said, you've been here. He said, I've been here, been faithful, never, and never had a party. The father didn't, get, didn't say, well, good for you. He said, you should have been experiencing this. I am convinced of this. That first child that was having the big party, all of it was restored to him. He would come to the place, he would have to have come to the place of the older son, where if he was going to experience something, he was going to have to kill a fatted calf himself. Man, when you first give your life to the Lord, it's like, woo -hoo -hoo! 
And then after a while, you know, God expects you to grow a little bit and become faithful and to have your own prayer life and to act on the Word of God yourself, you know. I mean, babies, they just, and you stick a bottle in their mouth, milk. But when they start growing, you expect them, you know, you don't, you're not giving bottles to people who are 18, 19 years old anymore. You're not supposed to. You're not changing their diapers, you know. You're not, no. Those, what I'm saying is, he expected us, expects us to grow like he expected that child. He said, listen, it's all yours. You can partake. God wants us to partake all the time so we can taste and see and know that the Lord is good, not that he was good, so we can tell people of his goodness. You out there? Why? Because people know that that constricting gate, though it's narrow, is good. It's right and it's good. Let's bow our heads.